Welcome to the 80s Arcade Podcast. Here's your host, Bob Johnson. With me today is George Gomez. Uh, you may know him from uh, games such as Deadpool, the Pinball Machine. Um, also, he is a designer for the Gorf joystick handle. Um, George, I'd like to thank you for coming today on the 80s Arcade Podcast. Well, hey, Bob. Uh, thanks for having me. I mean, it's, uh, it's always good to talk to guys that are into the stuff. So, George, my first question I always ask people are, what is your favorite arcade game? And in your case, also, what is your favorite pinball machine? Right. So my favorite arcade game is pretty easy. Um, I spent a lot of money playing Defender. And um, I owned a Defender Stargate for probably, I don't know, 20 years. And I'm sorry I ever sold it. Um, and uh, so that was, and uh, you know, I'm a fan of, um, uh, and a friend of uh, Eugene Jarvis and Larry DeMar. And I think, I think, you know, those guys just are, you know, both amazing talents. Uh, and they've both, by the way, they've both dabbled in both uh, and, and had tremendous success both in pinball and video games. And, and uh, so Defender for sure, without missing a beat uh, remains uh, my go-to um, Defender Stargate, I, uh, which a lot of people don't like as much as Defender. I actually prefer. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I don't know. I just uh, those two for sure. And now uh, pinball is a tough one. You know, I mean, I I enjoyed games from other designers uh, as much as I enjoy my, uh, my own games. Uh, my own my own games. I'm currently really enamored with my Deadpool. I've been playing it a lot and um, I still like it a lot. And uh, it's one of those games that, uh, you know, I just uh, I'm my partner on that and that in that game, a guy named Tony Kleiss. Um, the lead developer, Antonio, came to us from Valve, and um, he, uh, you know, him and I had a lot of fun making that game, and we had such amazing contribution from all the people that that worked on it. The, the you know the, the video graphics guys, we we purposely took the, you know, we we made the graphics look like old sixteen bit video game graphics, and we um, we used a lot of the old Williams uh, Bally. Uh, type sounds from the era, um, you know, those, all those old, um, um, you know, uh, really processed uh, video game sounds. Uh, the, actually, the sounds like in things like Defender, you know, we, we um, and so we just had a lot of, and, and Marvel was a tremendous licensing partner in that they gave us a, you know, the, a lot of freedom to, you know, take the, the world of Deadpool and sort of make it our own inside the medium of pinball. And if you haven't played a Deadpool pinball, you got to find one. It's it's really it's 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 a really special game. Um, I you know and I ended yeah that that being said, it is my game, so I get to. <laughs> <you know. laughs> but 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 yes, it's uh, the, the, I I'm, I thoroughly enjoy it, and I think that everybody that worked on it really brought like the best stuff to it, and and that's why it became you know that's that's why it's had the success. It's yeah, had. How do you get to play it? Once, unfortunately, I didn't get to play it a second time, but um, I'm, I'm hoping that I can find it because in the short period of time that I got to play it, um, I, I definitely felt it was a fun game, and and it was like I, one more go. I, I I just I just didn't have the opportunity <laughs> yeah. to time, but I was definitely like uh, I'll, I'll get you next time. Yeah, it's a it's um so it's um it's a very approachable game. 
And I think that's, uh, you know, I think that, that a novice can actually have a good time in that game. Almost everybody is going to get a multi-ball in that game. And, uh, it's just a very, it's, it's an approachable game and it's also challenging for people that, um, you know, have more experience in pinball. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think if you get a chance, uh, throw and, some money. And, and here I thought getting the multi-ball, I thought I was good. Now it turns out everybody gets it. <laughs> That's probably why you remember it. Yeah, it is. It is. Like you said, it was, it was very much like you said, I'm like, wow, I got multi-ball. I got, oh man, I'm, you know, absolutely. It's a very approachable game. <laughs> yep. Um, so George, um, you know, your family, you originally, your family came from Cuba in 1962. Um, so what was your early life like in the U.S.? Well, yeah. So, so like you said, I, um, I immigrated with my family. I was seven. Um, immediately, like, uh, right after, right, right before the Cuban Missile Crisis. So we got very lucky. And um, we landed in Miami in at the end of September of 1962, and I uh, lived in Miami for a couple of years. When I was nine, we moved to Chicago, and I basically grew up, went to school in Chicago. And um, you know, I had a pretty—I mean, I'm a, I'm sort of a child of the Cold War, you know. So I mean, I grew up, uh, I I I I had a, a fairly normal. Uh, upbringing. I was, you know, I was into, uh, I was into bikes. Uh, I was in, I, you know, I was in scouts and, you know, I had, I, I grew up with, uh, you know, playing with, uh, you know, the big GI Joes and slot cars and, and all the stuff that, um, you know, people in my generation played with and no video games, of course. And, uh, um, I did, I was a big fan of the Midway, uh, gun games, which I would I would play at the bowling alley uh, every once in a while when I had a couple quarters to spare. But you know, pretty normal existence. Scouts. I had a paper route, and you know, delivered papers, and grew up on the north side of the city, uh, a neighborhood called Rogers Park in Chicago. And uh, you know, it, it's so so fairly normal um, uh, American upbringing. Uh, in the, you know, in the sixties. Um, as far as, you know, before you came to America, was there anything that you really remember, you know, as far as uh, your uh, upbringing in Cuba, anything that really may be an influence or anything that you remember to this day? Well, you know, I'll tell you, I'm, uh, so I, I have fond memories. I have a lot of them of, of, uh, life in the old country. And, um, and I think that, that, you know, when the revolution uh, came about, my parents decided that uh, they wanted to try to give me a better life. Things were changing there uh, pretty rapidly. And, you know, my I remember changes in my school and, and some of the economic changes that were impacting day-to-day life, you know, ration lines and, and sort of the, when, when, you know, when things change there, the economy sort of um, imploded when, when, um, they stopped doing business with, uh, American companies and life changed pretty radically, pretty fast. And I remember, uh, all of that stuff because, you know, I was, I was old enough to, to sort of experience it, the changes in my school and the changes, like I said, in just in life in general. So, um, 
coming to the States, you know, it's, it was a very much the classic immigrant experience, right? You come here with, with very little and you, um, and you know, this is, this is an amazing country, right? It, it's given me, uh, the opportunities that it, that it's given me, um, you know, that allowed me to educate myself and, or to get, to be educated and, and to, to, to sort of, uh, have the life I chose, um, you know, the kind of thing that can only happen in this country. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that I don't, I, I wouldn't wish the immigrant experience on anyone. It's, it's not easy. It's, it's, it's never easy for anyone. Um, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I think that it, it made me, uh, it, it sort of made, gave, gave me an appreciation for, uh, you know, uh, my life as I have, you know, as, 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 as it's turned out. And, uh, it gave me a lot of, it made me ambitious because I didn't, I didn't want to struggle. So, um, you know, it, it was really clear in my mind that, that this was a, a place, this country was a place where if I, you know, if I, you know, if I got educated and I, and I, um, and I worked hard, I could do, I could, I could have a good life. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's like um, I, I had no idea I was going to end up designing games. I'll tell you that right now. And I didn't know that I've had a really amazing career in, in that in that I've gotten to do a lot of different things. And so, you know, I, I started out designing arcade games right out of design school in, in the late 70s, early 80s at Midway Games. I was a toy inventor for probably the most storied and famous toy invention company in the history of toys, Marvin Glass and Associates. Um, and I did that for some number of years. I, I designed novelty games uh, for some time after my Marvin Glass days. I, um, I, I, you know, I worked on an Xbox and PlayStation video game team uh, for about nine years of my career. And I, uh, I, and my, you know, uh, I've also designed pinball machines. And so, so I think, I've, you know, I've touched a lot of forms of entertainment and whenever I've, um, I've gotten bored or I've wanted to try something new, it's, it's sort of been available to me. And, and, and so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm blessed, uh, I'm blessed that I've gotten to work in all these different mediums, uh, and, you know, I'm very hands-on and, um, and so I love to, I love to, to, to try different things and, and, and work on different elements of the product. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been an awesome ride. I'll tell you that. Uh, yeah. One of the things in your, your, your earlier life, you know, in 1971, um, you got to meet president Gerald Ford as an Eagle scout for the distinguished Eagle medal. What, yeah. what was that like? Wow. That's a, <clears throat> I, I have no idea how you found that, but <laughs> <laughs> right. So so I told you I came up in scouts. I'm an Eagle Scout, and um, <clears throat> I uh, and so uh, I when Ford was president, he was also an Eagle Scout, and the Distinguished Eagle Award is an award that the Boy Scouts give to um, a, a, someone who, as a as a kid, became an Eagle Scout, and then went on to have uh, some significant, extraordinary uh, career success. Um, so, you know, he's distinguished himself as an adult. Um, and, uh, and so Gerald Ford, uh, when he was president, he was being awarded that, 
and I actually I think it was 74 to tell you the truth. I think it was a little later, but if memory serves, but um, uh, the, the scouts asked me to help be on the presentation team. There's a great Chicago Tribune photo. My hair is really long, you know, <laughs> and I've got a, I'm up there with a bunch of other uh, uh, Eagle Scouts and, and we uh, we presented them with the award. It was at the Conrad Hilton uh, Hotel in downtown uh, Chicago. And uh, it was uh, it was a trip. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it it it, uh, it was a lot of fun. And and uh, um, he was uh, he really was a great guy. Um, and, uh, um, you know, it was his career in some ways was indicative of a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys that have, have, have gotten their wings, so to speak, have gone on to have, uh, uh, you know, success. And so, uh, so it was, it was great to see him get that award. Yeah, I was in scouts, but I only went up to Weeblos, but I do have several friends who actually, you know, got to the level of Eagle Scouts. So. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, uh, so it's a lot of work, right? It's, yes. uh, and it's a thing that it's a thing that happens over many years. So, um, I, um, uh, when I did it, I remember, I remember waking up after I'd gotten it and I woke, you know, woke up one day and, and it's like, you're so used to waking up thinking about, okay, what, what do I got to do now? What's next? What's the next thing that I got to overcome? And then, and then one day it, it was like that day when you uh, it's, it's a Saturday and you wake up thinking you got to go to school. And then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, it's Saturday. I don't have to go to school. It was that same kind of like uh, relief. Oh no, no, I wait, I did it already. I'm, I don't have to do anything. <laughs> so <it> was, <laughs> but uh it's um you know it's a thing I've referenced a lot in in uh, sort of as I as I um um as you know throughout different times in my life it it there was a moment in time when the mo- when the most difficult thing in my life was was doing that and um and it seemed impossible it seemed l- like so out there um, and so it's, it's, it's a good, it's a great point of reference when you face other things that seem hard or impossible because you, you then have this, well, you know, that there was a moment in time when that was the hardest thing in my life. And, and yet, you know, I figured it out. And so, you, you know, you, you, um, uh, I've, uh, it's, it's a, it's a thing I don't, uh, I will never regret, uh, doing. So, you know, what are some of your your favorite pastimes and hobbies? You know, what makes George Gomez George Gomez? <laughs> well, um, nothing too exotic, really. I mean, so I I like to ski. I'm still into bicycles. Uh, I'm into cars. Um, I like to build things. Uh, I you know I'm 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 a designer. Uh, I was, I think that I was always born to be a designer. And so I love designing things. It doesn't matter. Uh, doesn't matter what I'm designing. It's really kind of fun for me to do that. Um, so, um, you know, I, um, that's, that's really, those are sort of, my problem is that my hobbies and my work are so intermeshed um, because, you know, I've been fortunate enough to spend you know, to spend my, my career designing games. And so 
Um, so there's a lot of a lot of crossovers, but I'm into all elements of design. You know, I love art and and um, and I'm an industrial designer by trade. My, my 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 that's my my bachelor's degree is in industrial design from the University of Illinois in Chicago, and um, and I think that the university just rubber stamped it. You know, I think the reality <laughs> is that that I sort of knew all along, and and you know, I'm the kid that I, I mean, you know, I was I've always drawn and built things and you know i was customizing my bicycles thinking up my mother's house uh with spray paint you know spray painting my bikes in the basement and you know smelling up the whole house <laughs> and and uh you know i grew up you know building models and and you know pinewood derby and all that stuff right and uh so i think that i think uh when i went when i went to school it was it felt very comfortable for me to be in design, it was uh, stuff I knew, you know, felt very natural to me. And it's always felt very natural. I, I don't think I could have been a doctor or a lawyer or I don't know what, you know, um, I, I, I think that uh, 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 what you see is what you get. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll be honest, I don't know much about cars. You know, my car, I get in it, it goes. That's good for me. But, you know, as far as cars and bikes, do you have any... You know, maybe any particular thing that you maybe own that you can mention that you're like, oh, I'm really proud of this or something you did that, you know, related to those hobbies. Well, you know, I mean, those hobbies. So um, I have I have a few cars. I have uh, I have an old 69 Mustang Mach 1 that is in in bits and pieces <laughs> needs needs a hundred percent of everything. And I have this vision that someday I'm going to have the time to work on this car. And, and, you know, I go to the SEMA show every year and look at all the super uh, amazing cars that people build. And I've always had it in the back of my mind that I want to do that and, you know, touch every nut and bolt and detail every thing and design things the way I would do them and, and all that. And so um, that's kind of a, I, at this pace, I mean, I, I work a lot, so it, it seems like I'm never going to get to it. I'm, I'm going to have, it's going to end up being a retirement project, <laughs> but, um, I have, uh, um, yeah, I've always been into, you know, I've always been into different, um, uh, different kinds of cars. Um, I have a little, uh, I have a little Porsche Cayman and I have a, I have a BMW Roadster, um, a little Z4, and so I, uh, I'm a two sports car family. <laughs> <laughs> so now like, are those, the cars you mentioned, it sounds like those are kind of like more, like you said, kind of souped up sports cars. Would that be correct? Well, that, that old Mustang is like this classic American muscle car. And, uh, the other two cars are, are, are pretty much pure sports cars. Okay. Uh, you know, the, 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 um, the, the, the BMWs, it's, it's, it's old, but it's not worth anything to anyone but me. And so I, I'm just going to keep it. And the Porsche is fairly new. So, uh, that's, that's, you know, I, um, I drive that a lot more. Okay. Um, you worked at Ballet Midway for about two years before, you know, your first project that most gamers would know you for. Um, do you remember any of the early projects that you worked on? Pretty much remember everything I did there, I'll tell you. So I was at Valley Midway um, before it had a Williams connection um, when it was, you know, Midway was owned by Bally. And uh, I was there about seven years, uh, the first seven years of my career uh, from from October of 78. I walked in the door 
until sometime in, I want to say, 84. And um, the very f- absolute first thing I touched was uh, a Taito a video gun game called Blue Shark. And it was a black and white, you know, uh, it had a spear gun. And, uh, you know, you just basically uh, pointed at, pointed the spear gun at, at fish uh, swimming across on the screen. And then, of course, there was a mermaid that you weren't supposed to shoot. And there was a, you know, there was a deep sea diver and stuff like that. And and um, Midway at the time was had a strong Taito relationship. And Midway was a huge manufacturing company as as far as you know in terms of video games and they did a lot of licenses you know i'm not sure if people realize that while americans saw space invaders and it had a midway uh logo on it it was it was you know clearly it was a title game that was had been licensed for production here in the states and 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 so uh a lot of the japanese companies were doing licensing deals because arcade games are big huge things and it and it's a lot cheaper to send over a board set or code than it is to, than it was to send over an entire cabinet uh with all the stuff in it and so uh and midway's a manufacturer and they had a they had uh, a lot of capacity they could make a lot of games every day and um and, and an incredible number of games I, back in, you know in the, in the pac-man days it was as many as 1100 that would be 1,100 machines a day. <laughs> so, so you can, I mean, that's my, that, that staggers your mind, right? When you think about it, you go like, well, you know, I mean, those guys are, that, those, that, that factory was cranking. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I walked in a door and, uh, and I, and I worked on Blue Shark. It was a, not a very, didn't, didn't have a lot of popularity at the time. I think we were building Space Invaders at the same time that, that I was working on Blue Shark and, and, you know, Space Invaders was all the rage. So um, my boss, being a designer, you know, I had uh, my very first couple of years in the company was doing very traditional industrial design kind of things like like styling controls and, and cabinets and that kind of thing. Uh, doing little we used to do a lot of little special uh, mirror effects to because because the screen graphics were so primitive at the time that that you know we would like create little vacuum form moons or whatever and and you know play with black lights and stuff and and create little scenery that would sort of interact through a mirror with the with the uh you know with the with the screen images and so um so the first couple of years I did stuff like that. I mean, you know, you, you mentioned the, the Gorf joystick and that, you know, that falls into that, that time frame. Um, and, and I, I want to make this clear because everybody gives me the credit for it, but the, the, and, and I did, I did style and design and do the engineering on the stick. But, but the reality is that the Gorf stick was the concept of its designer of the Gorf designer, uh, Dave Nutting of, of Dave Nutting and associates. And Dave was happens to have been, uh, well, he's still alive, so he is. Uh, but Dave um, was one of my earliest mentors because Dave, like myself, uh, is an industrial designer by trade. So Dave had uh, Dave had the same background I had, and so uh, I gravitated to 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 his you know his work. He was clearly at the top of his game when I knew him, and uh, he had a company. Uh, called Dave Nutting and Associates, which you can look up, and they 
were uh, they were a ballet company. They were a captive ballet company because Dave had used to sell had had begun you know for for some time he would bring in game ideas and eventually uh, Bally Midway bought him and set him up as an external studio to the company um, inventing and, and designing new, new games. And he, and he came up, him and Jay Fenton and, um, uh, Jeff, Fred, Jeff Fredrickson did the hardware and they, they did Gorf and, uh, Dave had brought the prototype in and the prototype had a, um, I think he had taken a, uh, the grip from an F4 Phantom fighter and he had cast it in urethane and he had mounted it to the stick and he had a very he had a, and, and the stick the original design for the stick had a really interesting uh control mechanism he was using a plastic rod that had strain gauges mounted to it and as you push the stick the strain gauges would provide the feedback and it was it's actually a very very clever device um and so uh but but my you know, my job at the time had been to help uh, uh, the company uh, put the, you know, get these products in, into a state where they could be mass produced and, and, and made. And so what Dave had brought in was a prototype. So I asked permission. I said, you know, do you mind if I style it and, and do something with it, make it make it look more sort of uh, generic, but yet modern space agey? Um, because I thought that, you know, uh, the company had to amortize the tooling for the stick over many games in the upcoming range of games. And so, um, they gave me permission to do that. And I, uh, and so I re-sculpted it and created, you know, the, what you know of as the stick. Um, if you look at a Gorf in, in the little, in the little illuminated backplate that I designed there, uh, my, my, my name is hidden in the little, in what looks like pixels. Um, you know, and it's like there's like a red and black pixel. Yeah, array. yeah. It's like yeah. a dot matrix. Yep. And if you if you look in there, you'll find Gomez hidden in there, uh, in the pixel array. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, it's a. I've not heard that before. Yeah, yeah. There's some. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of guys that are into that game that know that. Uh, oh. But oh. so anyway, long story short, yes, I get credit for the grip, but the reality is that the concept is uh, is Dave's, and and he was the. You know, he was uh, the the game designer on on Gorf, and um, and he went on to uh, he did many things. He did Wizard of War, and he did a bunch of other games. Uh, and he was really a very very uh, advanced sort of bleeding edge R and D group uh, for uh, Bally Midway. And so a lot of the stuff they were doing is stuff that um, was so far ahead of its time that that it was difficult to produce it in the time frame that the company, you know, um, operated in. So, uh, but, uh, you know, he did, he did like they, those guys were working on a 3d vector, uh, game hardware. That was, it was pretty spectacular for its time. And of course we take it all for granted. Now we, you know, we have 3d graphics and everything, but, uh, uh, yeah. So it was, it was an exciting time. He's, he's a great guy. Like I said, one of my early mentors. I've uh, you know uh, fond memories of those days. Um, now you know you mentioned uh, that Blue Shark, and I couldn't find anywhere that you were credited to working on that at all. But were there besides the the four kind of games that everybody knows? You know that you're for um, you know the Gorf Satan's Hollow, 
uh, yep. Discs of Tron, um, and uh, Spy Hunter. Tron. And Tron, yep, and Tron. Um, are there any other games that you worked on that we there may was know a game, of? Yeah, there was, uh, so there was a game called Space Encounters. It, it, the, um, the video looked like it, it was supposed to simulate like the Death Star Trench. Yes, I, I know that and game. You, <laughs> okay, all right, so... Right. So that was one of the games where I worked on like some of I, I just did a very I did very little. I did like there's a there's these there are these um, sort of cardboard surrounds that with art on mm-hmm. them that a transition from the bezel to the to the screen. And, and so I designed those and I worked on the control panel and the, the steering device and that kind of thing. Uh, that that bezel, that white bezel, that vacuum form bezel was actually from a game called Lunar. I think it was called, God, um, I want to say Lunar Lander, but it wasn't Lunar Lander. It was something else that Midway had that was, it was before my time, but that bezel was laying around. And, and, and we said, well, let's use this. Let's repurpose this thing. So so I did some work on that. I did a... Um, I did a uh, towards the end of my time there. I actually did an electric electromechanical baseball game called Big Bat, um, where you shot a nylon ball through the air and you had this giant bat. You could you could uh, try to hit you know try to hit it. Um, very hard to play. I can't believe I I, I can't believe they let me build that thing. Um, um, let's see. Uh, I worked on a, you know, I, I just, I worked on so much stuff in that time frame. I did a little bit of work on Omega Race. Oh yeah, that's um, a good game. Yeah, I did uh, some, I did the, like the, you know, some of the, uh, I did some of the cabinet art. And I did some of the, the, the controller, the control panels and stuff. I, you know, I used to get dragged into, remember I was a young guy, I was like 22 or something. I was in, in, and I was very, my skill set was somewhat versatile. So they, they would just throw me on all kinds of things. So I did, um, sometimes I would get dragged into the art department and I would help them with like a different art, you know, for different things. So I did, uh, uh, the American, the, the, the Midway, uh, version of Galaxian. I did some. I did some work on the art on the control panel, which is, uh, and I did some work on Rally X, the Namco game. Uh, again, on in the arts on the art side. So I I worked on a lot of just you know like hey can you help us out with this kind of thing, like the art department would be jammed up or you know some other group would be jammed up. Um, Worked on a game called Kickman. Did you ever see that? I have seen was... Kickman. <laughs> worked <laughs> on that. Uh, I had actually had at one point I had a I had invented a thing that you actually kicked. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> like you know, it was like a plate with a switch behind right. it, and you kicked the plate, and that you know that was like the clown kicking oh. the balloons, and um, the the company pulled it at the eleventh hour because they thought that it was going to. Uh, it, somebody was going to sue us. <laughs> somebody just break their foot kicking the, the game. Oh, yeah. that, that's too bad because, I mean, I think that would have been a very interesting, uh, you know, input device for that game. Yeah. Yeah. I was coming up with weird stuff like that. Um, I worked on I worked on a game um, called Critical Mass, which never got made. There's ROMs out there. 
and um, and there's a there's a three two one. Remember the television show three two one contact? It was sort of an after school yep. uh, kids show. Well, okay, so three two one contact came to the company and they did a how we make video games segment. Okay. And if you can ever find one of those, um, you'll you'll see me in all my <laughs> <laughs> in all my. Uh, Glory, uh, I was very young and um, and a lot of the show, I was the I was sort of the guy walking the, you know, the the host through the process uh, with a lot of the people I worked with at the time. So, yeah. Uh, Is there any chance? Did you work on a game called Space Zap by any chance? Um, I did very little. Actually, I did nothing on Space Zap. It was uh, done right around me. Uh, A friend of mine guy that had been hired after me uh was also an industrial designer his name was brian day and brian did the cabinet and he did the he did the the graphics uh space zap was actually a dave nutting game and so it came from dave nutting had the big four buttons it was actually a a real it really it was a fun game it was a lot of really frenzied but it just got to you know it was one of those games that at, at some point in time the your skill as a human to you know to, to move across those buttons and and actually the buttons just became you know it, i mean it there was just limits to so so um it was it was you know it was diff, it was a difficult game to to play beyond a certain um level yes. uh, the reason i ask and my listeners know this uh, i'm actually a former world record holder for space zap Oh my God! Yep. So you must have lightning reflexes. Uh, pretty, pretty quick. Yeah, I'm number two right <laughs> yeah. now. I I need to practice and get my uh, get my record back. Um, not more than fifty feet away from me right now. There is a space that machine sitting in a, a one of my rooms. It was a cool machine, oh, right? Very. I mean, it was like that, that cabinet is very cool. Brian did a great job with it, and uh, it, it it was it, is your game gray with like the black. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. It was like, so that was such a, you know, that was such a contrast to everything we were making, which was really bright and colorful and had lots of stuff around it. And, and, uh, space app, he, he literally back then, um, and this, this plays into when we talk about Tron, I'll tell you a little bit about this, but when print circuit boards were laid out, they were laid out with, uh, tape and, uh, literally tape and, and a tape, you know, you had these li- different thicknesses of black, uh, tape and you uh, like almost like pinstriping tape and and there was uh, and there were little there were like dots with holes in them to represent like solder pads and where where components went and and uh, and so Brian one day he just went in the lab and he grabbed a bunch of the the, the rolls of tape and all the little pads for like circuit pads and stuff and he started making up the the art on the side of the game and everybody looked at it and was like, wow, that's so cool. And, and it, it, that's how it became what it is. You know, now, now that you say that I can definitely see it. And I always kind of wondered, you know, uh, you know, the story of the design of the art because it was so, you know, futuristic and unusual and just, you know, you're kind of like, well, how did they come up with that? And now that you tell us the yep. story, it makes a lot of sense. Brian day. Wow, yep. Wow. Yep. Um, so, uh, can you next let's talk about like um, another game you're well known for, uh, Satan's Hollow. Right. So, Satan's Hollow. Um, 
So, you know, I was in, like I said, I was in this sort of production support group where we would take stuff that was being done by the outside R&D groups. There were two of them, Arcade Engineering in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. A guy named Ronnie Halliburton also became a, 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 a friend and, and, and he was very much a mentor. Um, and then you had Dave Nutting and Associates in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And, and so a lot of the, the stuff that I, my day to day was, was really in support of, uh, the things that were coming in from them or the things that were coming in from the Japanese companies like Taito and Namco, et cetera. And, um, but there was an internal group of us that was, um, young and, and energetic and into the games and we we're passionate about the games. We really wanted to make games, uh, wanted to make our own games. And, and the guy, um, there was a guy, very talented software engineer, a guy named Bill Adams. And Bill, um, who was, was the architect of the Tron software and, 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 and really the, you know, really the, the lead designer of the, of, of the Tron game in terms of, the software, um, Bill was as frustrated as I was in that, in that we were always working on somebody else's stuff. We weren't really doing our own stuff. And, and finally he just, he just started building this game, which would become Satan's hollow. And, and, uh, he, um, you know, we had a, we had another, there was basically, there was three of us that, that, collaborated on stuff and, 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 uh, uh, you know, Bill was doing software. Another friend of ours, a guy named Atish Ghosh, who was about my age, Bill was a little older and, uh, Bill had older meaning he was like, you know, if I was 22, Bill was, I don't know, 27 or something. He wasn't that much older, but, uh, uh, the other guy was Atish Ghosh and he was, he was, he was contemporary to me in, in age. And he was an electrical engineer, a, a great, um, you know, a great electronics designer. And, uh, he had, he actually conceptualized, designed the, uh, what, what you know of as the, the MCR2, um, hardware set, which is, um, the midway graphics that power things like Tron, a derivative of MCR2 powers Spy Hunter and, and, a, and the very first MCR2 that went into production was Satan's Hollow. And so, um, Atish had designed this hardware set and the hardware set had, um, it had the ability to move a lot of, um, a lot of sprites in the foreground, had a, had a foreground plane and a background plane. The background plane was half the resolution of the foreground plane. The things on the foreground plane were, uh, 32 pixels by 32 pixels. Typically that, that was the smallest sprite. And uh, you could stack them, you know, we ended up stacking them for things like like to draw the car in Spy Hunter, for example, or to draw Tron himself in Tron, you know. Um, and then the background was half the resolution, 16 by 16 uh, pixel picture blocks, we called them. And uh, the background was intended to be somewhat static and you, you could you could page it, meaning that, you know, there was a there was a buffer and you could just you could bring in a page of it. But the reality was that. Um, most of the movement was intended to be in the foreground plane. And so we had all this power with it and we needed a game to show it off. And, um, and no one was paying attention to it. It was like a thing he had designed, but there was like, there was no, you know, it was kind of like uh, the, the company wasn't saying, you know, 
you need to design a new hardware set. It was just the thing he did. And, and he, you know, proved it out, got it working and here it was, but there was nothing to do with it because most of the Japanese games were coming with hardware and, and the games from arcade engineering and the games from, from Dave Nutting and associates had their own hardware. So, so really there was nothing to do with it. And Bill started messing with it, decided he was going to make his game. And, uh, and, and honestly, my biggest contribution to the game was he, he said to me, uh, uh, what do you think, you know, I want these birds to fly around and, and what do you think, what do you think they should do? And I said, I don't, I don't know. Let, let me think about it. And, and so I, like in an afternoon, I drew like all those bird patterns, yep. you know, like the, <laughs> you know, the goofy, the figure eight, oh, yeah. and the, you know, they're this way and they're going that way. And, and so I drew all of those and I worked on like that, you know, it's like, I think it was like a, God, I think it was like a three frame animation of the bird, <laughs> the bird flapping its <laughs> yep, wings. Yep. <laughs> right exactly uh, i just played it out more than a couple of weeks ago so <laughs> yeah 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 i was like uh but you know he was i think that um you know and at the time uh it turns out that naming it satan's hollow didn't help us because <laughs> because the world was different and and a lot of a lot of people in the bible belt had an issue with with what you know what, what they perceived as a celebration of Satan. It wasn't a celebration of Satan at of all. Not. It was, you know, it was like, it was like, uh, Bill wanted, Bill wanted like, you know, like we're out to lunch one day and he's like, yeah, I want a really evil character. <laughs> that's going to be the bad guy. I mean, like who, who should it be? And like, you know, and it was that, you know, it was that era in time when there was all those devil movies, Absolutely. you know, like the exorcist yep. and Damien and <laughs> Damien two and Damien three, all those. Right. And so it was like, yeah, it's it's gonna be the devil. It's gonna be Satan. <laughs> and, and so, so uh, that's really where it came from. And and honestly, I never even imagined that we would visualize Satan at all. I mean, it was like the guy who um, the guy who drew the cabinet art. I think was a guy named uh, Paul Niemeyer. And Paul, I think Paul came up with that image, uh, that illustration. I remember seeing when I saw it. I was like. That's weird. He really put Satan on the side of the cabinet. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's quite the drawing, too. <laughs> right, right, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was Satan's Hollow. <laughs> I mean, it was, and that honestly, that was the first time that we had actually built. You know, where the internal what would become. So the three of us basically spawned what would become the Heart Street Group, which would, which is the group that ended up creating lots of different product that, you know, uh, it was that group that, you know, we hired guys like, like, um, Brian Cole and Jeff Nauman. They went on to do, you know, like rampage and all that, you know, all of those games from that, you know, from that era, uh, were, that was, they were sort of like the second generation of us that they were, they were hired. I mean, Brian worked on, um, you know, he worked on all the games that you met, you know, I don't think he worked on Saints Hall, but, but, but he, he definitely worked. He did some work on Spy Hunter. He did some work on Tron. He did a bunch of the, a bunch of product from that time, uh, he worked on. And so, and, and I hired him. He was, uh, you know, he, he was a young guy starting out out of, uh, you know, he was an animator and, and so that, but, but the, to what I was, uh, I guess what I was trying to say is that, so the success that, um, that Bill and Atish and myself had, 
on that Saints Hollow game got us a little bit more running room and 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 you know Bill got permission to hire more guys and guys came in and we started growing the group and um, and then you know the the, the company actually had a uh, they had an empty warehouse that was like a couple blocks from from Midway and it was called it was on Hart Street and so that. H A R T and 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 that's where that's how that if you've ever if you ever read some read some of the arcade history and people refer to the Hart Street Group in Midway that that's that's really all it was it was just we were in they put us in this old abandoned building said <laughs> so here go make make go make games <laughs> so um, I'm assuming kind of like you said this uh, success and like I said uh, giving you some more latitude kind of led to your next project, which would be Tron. Um, what you know, What right. can you tell us about that? I mean, that's a classic yeah. game. Yeah. So, uh, so Tron was, um, so there was a guy who was in charge of licensing for Bally Midway. His name is Tom Neiman. And he's done a lot of talks, I think, uh, on, he was a marketing guy, and he, but, he, but he also, he, he was one of the, the early guys that, was a proponent of licensing, you know, licensing a property to, to build a game around and, uh, which is a common thing today. I mean, we, we, we do it a lot here at Stern Pinball and, uh, but Tom Neiman was the Bally, uh, midway licensing guy. And he came back to us, uh, one day and he was actually attached, uh, to the pinball division and he was getting a lot of the pinball licenses and he had in his travels, he had been, he had been to Disney, and they had said, you know, we're making a movie about video games. And they and and he said, oh, we must have it. We have a video game company and we must have it. And and so he came back and he gave, uh, you know, he gave us or he, you know, he told the company uh, these Disney's doing a movie about video games. You guys got to come up with something. And uh, we we didn't really uh sort of the the company's position was that the game was going to be made either by Dave Nutting and Associates um, or Ronnie Halliburton's group in Florida, Arcade Engineering. And we we heard about it in just sort of like the scuttlebutt in the company. We didn't even know what it was. We just started that, you know, Disney's doing this thing and, and Tom Neiman brought it back and it's and so uh, we we begged, like we begged our boss at the time to be involved in 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 the project, and and they I think that just to shut us up, they they said, <laughs> uh, sure, okay. And so then they they set this internal. They said we'll have an internal competition, and we'll pick from the designs, you know, the Dave Nutting design, the arcade design, and you guys can do a design. And and I think because. You know, Dave and company were very established, and and so was Ronnie and his crew, um, and and we weren't, and and I think that we really took it to heart. So we, um, you know, we started working on it, and like, uh, you know, and and honestly, the I think I've I've told this story many times, but my first industry all nighter was in was. The, the night that like before the show and tell, you know, like a couple of nights before, actually it was a couple of nights before the show and tell. And we had, we wanted to make a big impression with the thing that we were presenting so that we would get the rights to do the game. And I was doing these big, 
we call them storyboards. They weren't really storyboards. They're more like it's a giant poster. Where you can move the pieces around and you could sort of simulate uh, what you'd be seeing on screen and, and what you, you know, you'd move the pieces, how you invent, you know, how you en- envision they would move in the game um, so that you could demonstrate the play elements of the game. And so, um, so the three of us, uh, sometime before this big playoff, uh, it wasn't a big playoff except to us. <laughs> and, and, uh, and the, the three of us sat, you know, we got together every day and, and just invented ideas for the, you know, eventually Tom Neiman showed up with the scripts for the film and we got, we read the scripts and tried to envision what they were envisioning. We got a look at a few visuals, not very many. We got some pre-production stuff from them uh, that showed us kind of where they were going with the, with the thing and um, with, with the movie. And, and we started doing, you know, we started trying to put together a game design. So the original game design had five waves. Decitron was actually one of them. Um, and, uh, you know, we had, and we, you know, we, we picked up on the big stuff, right? We like, we, we said, okay, so you, you know, you need light cycles and, you know, based on, you know, what, what we knew, we right away, we knew, okay, look, it's top view. It's, it's this, it's, and, you know, we, so we needed, you know, we, so we had light cycles, we had the disc same and the disc same game was similar to what you eventually saw in Distrotron, but it was not quite the same. We didn't have the multiple uh, we didn't have the multiple discs. We had just two arrays of discs in in, in a room, and uh, um, we had um, um, we did uh, we of course we did tanks. Mm-hmm. The tanks was one of my you know one of my all time favorites. I when I was in college, I played the key games tank game. Uh, yep. <laughs> uh, and and they, you know and that, and that 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 was one of the games that 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 really got me into video games. And I, that I thought, you know, I, Hey, I can, I really, I really want to do this. And, and so, uh, the, you know, the, you know, I, I wanted the, like the, the big thing with the tanks game, you know, so we had the tanks we had, and then we, you know, we had, in, we had invented the, the notion that we, we took, we took the notion of the grid bugs to a place beyond what Disney had taken it. <laughs> Uh, eventually, you know, they, they ended up cutting them out of the film. I've told the story many times. They cut them out of the film. And and when they told me they cut them out of the film, I was like, you guys, we, we built an entire wave on this. You know? <laughs> so they said, OK, we'll put them in back in for you. They're in for like, you know, a nanosecond. <laughs> the guy goes, oh, grid bugs. <laughs> like, um, so, um, but anyway, so we had the. So the five waves, you know, we had. And then, of course, we had to do something with, an, you know, with the MCP. And so, uh um, so those are the waves. And we 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 worked our you know, we we worked our tails off for a couple of weeks trying to prepare for this thing. And you know, I built uh, by then they had said that, you know, that the company had done a deal. The, the Valley owned Aladdin's Castles and they owned, uh, um, you know, they owned. Uh, well, they so they decided they were going to do a they were we had to launch the game in anticipation of the film so that they could do a tournament at Aladdin's castles, give away some Tron games. And they would, they would do it. They were going to do a big playoff in Madison square garden in New York, 30 Tron games, 30 kids from all over the country. And then, you know, we would all go to the film premiere 
we go to lunch and then go to the film premiere, meet the stars and of the film. And so they had they had planned all this stuff and we didn't even have a game. Uh, and so they came back to us and they said, well, you know, this this is what we want to do. And so I had designed like uh, this nesting cabinet because I had this vision of people playing them and, you know, in a in a circle and, and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, we had designed that we had um, I was trying was fooling around with uh, some black lights to try to get effects into the cabinet. The cabinet I actually mocked up is in the film. It might be the Space Paranoid's cabinet. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was uh, it was it began life as a Gorf cabinet, and I cut it out so it looked a little different in the front. But I had that I still had that cockpit that 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 cockpit that's in the Tron game is like from the Gorf cabinet with some except that I put the I put that image of the MCP. I made the, the I made the cockpit transparent or the windows in the cockpit transparent and put the MCP back there. Um, and, uh, I, um, I was fooling around with, I had, uh, we, we were having an issue with, uh, the joysticks, the, the, the Gorf joystick that we talked about. And, and, you know, it wasn't like today where we have, you know, we have all this 3d CAD and we can look inside our designs and see what's going on. Uh, Back then, we, we, were, we were having an issue with the switch, and I had asked the vendor that made the thing to make me some clear ones so that I could look inside and see what the switch was doing. And I had these parts, I had these clear parts sitting on my desk, and one night I, I had been, I'd been fooling around with the black light relative to trying to get stuff to glow in Tron in the cabinet, and I was I was about to turn off the, the the lights. I turned off the lights on my of my office, and I was walking out the door seven o'clock at night or something. And I looked back on my desk, and the the plastic clear plastic parts that I had made that I had had uh, the Gorf parts that I had had the vendor make for me so that I could see what was going on inside were glowing. <laughs> they were glowing blue sitting on my desk. I was like. Because I'd forgotten to turn off the black light that I'd been messing around for. I'd been messing around with the black light relative to art, not the, not to the grip. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I got to go. So then I started like immediately I went back and I said, OK, turn the lights back. And I went back to work and started messing around with where do I put this black light so that I can get this. And that's how the glowing stick came about. <laughs> and then it was a big it was a big challenge to get the 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 sticks to glow in production because the material that he molded this the original stick that glowed on my desk was styrene it wasn't tough enough to be in the arcades so i had to figure we had to figure out i worked i did a lot of work with the the plastics vendor to arrive at a material that was tough enough and could still and was still glow and and so and unfortunately one of the things that made it glow was the fact that we we took the ultraviolet light inhibitors that are normally in plastics so that they don't self-destruct in right. sunlight. And, and, and we, we asked the, you know, we asked the vendor to take, take the UV inhibitors out and he took them out and which, which, which works great, except that they're guaranteed to self-destruct in some number of years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that would explain why they're sure. so hard to find. Like you said, the ones that are, that are functional are yeah, very right. valuable. Yeah. They, they they glow great, and um, and a couple of years later they're not going to glow. And then the ones that people have made, I think somebody's mm -hmm. made them. And the reason the ones they've made don't glow so well, 
is because they didn't know to to not you know to not include the UV inhibitors, which are normally a, a function of almost every plastic uh, today. And so, so if you're out there and you're making these things, uh, just mold them without the UV inhibitors; they'll glow great. They might not last more than a couple of years, but they grow great. <laughs> well, well, now we know the tree so, secret. Yeah, yeah, that is that is uh, that is definitely the magic. So, so we did, you know. So to continue my story, so we did, you know. Atish had hardware, and I had all this look and feel stuff, and I made these big boards to convey gameplay, and and um, and I think Bill had been screwing around with with uh we're trying to get stuff moving on the screen and we went to the we went to the big pl- the meeting where we had the playoff so, so to speak and and i think that dave nutting and arcade those guys weren't expecting to have to have something and so they just had conversations about what they were going to do and we had all this stuff and i think i think management looked and said you know what these young guys really want it let's let them do it and so we uh so then it was like okay we were crazy out of our minds we were oh my god we're gonna get to build this game and then and then holy crap we had like you know we had like i don't know what it was eight months or something to make the whole game so we so then we were under fire and and what what uh, bill did a very intelligent thing he and it was unheard of at the time but he basically uh he got a programmer to work on each wave into into individually he took one and he got a programmer per wave. And then he uh, basically uh, brought them all together and polished them. And so uh, so the guy who would go on to be my partner on Spy Hunter, Tom Leone, did the tank rack, the tank wave. Um, a couple of the other guys in, in the building that were like sort of good at, you know, tell me what to do kind of guys did some of the waves and then bill took them and and work you know tirelessly to um we would you know we would play the hell out of it and so i said this is fun this is not fun or no you know this is too slow this is too fast and we just like you know developed it uh over time um and it became what it became. We, we we quickly ran our resources to do the 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 discs wave and we put it off and we said, you know what, if we have any success with this, it'll be the sequel because we just don't have the resources and the hardware to do it. Um, and that the, the disc game, um, they hired a, a, a young engineer out of Milwaukee School of Engineering, a guy named Bob Dinnerman, who who really took the disc game. And and he just bought into the, the entire concept and and very much made it uh, what it became. Um, I I helped him a lot with things like the aiming thing. The the aiming technique is a thing that I invented. The notion of the stripes on the wall of the room and and moving the dot from from stripe to stripe because we couldn't figure out how to aim it. You know, and and that was a big that was a big challenge for a long time. We like we tried all these different things and and. Um, and that's the that's the thing that eventually ended up working the best. Uh, Brian Colin did a lot of the animations on the characters, and and uh, we came up with that that whole jump from disc to disc thing. And and it, it was uh, the the disc game uh, at that 
by the, with the success of Tron, we had a lot of running room and they let me do that crazy environmental cabinet, um, which the, the sales guys, you know, there were those sleeping berths in like, I think it was in the, in the, in the airport at Tokyo in Tokyo. And, and one of the sales guys used to tell me that when he couldn't sell if, if you know what, if, if we have trouble selling these environmental cabinets, I'm going to turn them into sleeping berths <laughs> and sell them to an airport. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, a guy named Dick Canopa used to tell me that. <laughs> Gomez, when we can't sell these things, I'm turning them into sleeping berths and selling them to an airport. Always good to have a backup plan. <laughs> oh, man. The, the original one that I, the, the original one I designed actually came apart in two, in two pieces. And unlike the ones that were mass produced, and the sales guys were very afraid that like some distributor was going to get like all the seats and some <laughs> other distributor on the other side of the world was going to get all the fronts. <laughs> so, so they came back and they made us, uh, I mean, it's, it's an enormous thing. It, it doesn't, you can't get it out of a single sheet of plywood and all the counters were plywood back then. And so they had to, basically splice the material together <laughs> um, where the original one I designed had a really nice split, right. You know, like <clears throat> where the, where the, where the lean to part uh, meets the main cabinet and actually the, the main cabinet, it was the very first one I mocked up. I took a standard Tron upright and I built the back of it in such a way that it attached the standard Tron up to, upright. And that was the original one. Okay. And of course, I, you know, it's it's companies will let you if 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 you have success, it's amazing what you'll let companies, um, you know, what you'll talk companies to let you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I always thought that you know he said, um, you know he said the first time I stepped into one and I'm like and this is one solid piece you know and I'm like you're like yeah. wouldn't this been better if they split it in two or something. <laughs> Yeah, it would have been a lot better, but like they didn't have a lot of faith in our material handling skills, if you will, in terms of, you know, like, okay, the, the you know, the distributor in California bought a hundred of these things and it was like, inevitably he would have received, you know, a hundred fronts and no backs or something. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah. Thank you for listening to the 80s Arcade Podcast. We want to hear from you. You can reach us on Twitter at 80s Arcade Pod, on Facebook at 80s Arcade Podcast, and on the web at 80sArcadePodcast.com. 